Aloha. Aloha. I want to share with you that one of the priorities in our church, we have three priorities that we celebrate, but the priority of our church is the gospel. Would you say it with me? The gospel. And the gospel in the original language of the Bible, specifically Greek, is the word good news. And this may be new to some of you. I've discovered that the gospel, the verbiage, the language, wasn't used in the Bible, first of all. It was actually a secular word that came from the emperor of Rome. When the emperor of Rome would send letters to the, to the places they ruled, specifically, let's say, Israel, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, his messenger would bring the gospel, a message of truth, a message of hope and good news. Now, we know that message was more social than it was eternal. Therefore, what we see in the text of Scripture is that God redeeming this word gospel to his mission. So for the last six years as a church plant, we've been celebrating this word the gospel, the good news. Why? Because there is bad news. And as we look at today's verses, I will be in Nehemiah chapter 3. As we look at today's verses, I want to give you more clarity and detail about what the gospel means for us, right? Number one, we have a high view of God. Now, this is not on your uh, notes today, this is not on the screen, this is something extra for us, but when it comes to the gospel, this means that we have a high view of who God is. We believe he's a singular God, right, in distinct three persons. We would call it the Trinity or the Godhead, right, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have a high view of him, so our songs would be about him, right, our prayers would be about him. All right, everything would be, would be about God in the Trinitarian view. But secondly, when it comes to the gospel, we have a high view of Scripture, the Bible. Specifically, if you have been with us for any length of time, we're actually a book study church. A lot of people call it expositional study. And what that means is that we go through verse by verse through books of the Bible. Usually we are in the gospel of Mark, but for this summer, for the next 13 weeks for the summer, we're going to focus on the Old Testament in the book of Nehemiah, specifically in a survey exposition, in a verse-by-verse -verse exposition. And lastly, because we have a high view of God, because we have a high view of Scripture, we also have a high view of Jesus Christ in proclaiming the excellencies of His name. I want to be very clear today. Today's message... Even if we're talking about Nehemiah, right, 445 years before the birth of Christ, right, it's about Christ. It's about Jesus. We are a Jesus-saturated, Jesus-centered church, simply meaning we love talking about Jesus. Now, not Jesus that Hollywood made up, right, the Jesus of Scripture. Therefore, we have a high view of God. We have a high view of Scripture, and because of that, we have a high view of proclaiming Christ through the nations. Would you stand with me in the reading of Nehemiah chapter 3? I want us to jump back to chapter 2 in the last few verses to set up chapter 3. All right, we're going to survey all through the chapter 3 of Nehemiah. 
But our main starting point will be in chapter 2 at the end, latter part of chapter 2 in verse 20, right? And it says this, then, this is Nehemiah, I replied to them, who is in, these were the heathens who are coming against their ministry, right? And he said this, the God of heaven, help me out, will make us what? Prosper. Listen, ho'olohe. And we, his servants, will what? Arise and what? Build. Listen to this. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, today's Father's Day is geared to you because we have a high view of you. You are our Heavenly Father. You are our perfect Father. In the New Testament, disciples called you Abba Father, the only Father, the precious Father, the Father who is perfect, who is pono, who is right, and who deserves all our attention, our affection, our adoration, our praise today. Would you illuminate the words of this text by your Holy Spirit? And Jesus, may you get all the praise, honor, and glory, for you are due for it. Speak to us where there is unclear things in this text by the interpretation of Scripture, to the interpretation of Scripture. We love you. In your name we pray. God's Ohana says loud and proud. Amen. Nohoilalo, you may be seated. I want to kick off our message with this reality truth that we've been saying for the last three weeks. And if you remember it, it's up on the screen, but if you remember, would you shout it out with me? One, two, three. God will do what he needs to do to fix our eyes on him. In chapter 1, in chapter 2, there's a consistent theme that God is sovereign, and because he is in full control, right, that he has this rhythm that he will do what he needs to do to fix our eyes on him. He will do this by the means through our relationships, through our circumstances, through life and death situations. He will do what he has to do to fix our eyes on him. Why? Because he is God. We have a high view of who he is, right? Because he is God, he can do whatever he wants. And the scripture tells us what he does, who he is, what is his nature, what is his character. And in our verses today, we see Nehemiah being faced off against outsiders who want no part with them building the walls of Israel. But God is sovereign. Say it with me. God, God is sovereign. When I say God is sovereign, it's not just that he is in control, but that also means the opposite is true. That means nobody else is in control. Are you with me? When I say God is sovereign, that also means that God does not submit to nobody because he is sovereign. God does not react to human. Human reacts to God. Can I get a witness out there? Now, we said though he is sovereign, he's on his throne, he's also with us. He lives in us. New Testament says his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in Romans 8, lives, abides within us, teaches us all the things that Christ himself has taught us. Could you imagine Nehemiah? Jesus has not come yet. He's 444 years before the birth of Christ. But he knows that God is, help me out, sovereign. He is in complete control. We learned last week that any great movement throughout history has always been with a movement of prayer. 
Today's sermon is in continuation of our title from last week, The Results of Prayer. And this is section part two. And what I want you to see is I want you to see this one big result in continuation of the results of prayer. And I want us to dive into the text and see what God means through surveying chapter three. And here's this reality. God provides unity among Nehemiah's community. Say that with me. One, two, three. God provides unity among Nehemiah's community, right? They're about to do what God sent Nehemiah and this fleet of people from Persia to do, and that was to restore the city of Jerusalem. If you grew up in church, uh, in children's church or cakey church, when I grew up in church, we had this old song. It was called Building Up the Temple. Anybody remember that old song in church? If you know it, would you, would you entertain the children this morning? All right, sing it. Ready me. Ready? One, two, three. Building up the temple. Building up the temple. Building up the temple for my Lord. Brother, won't you help me? Sister, won't you help me? Building up the temple for my Lord. Now, I can tell who grew up in Baptist church and Pentecostal church based on just looking out who knew the song, right? Obviously, only me and Ula knew the song because we're the ones who grew up in a real Pentecostal holiness church, right? We're a Baptist church today and all that. But the reality is true, right? God has called us to be a part of what he's doing in Hilo. God is building his temple. Not so much a physical temple, but what we would call his spiritual temple. And Nehemiah points us to the coming Christ in his birth through the building of this city in Jerusalem. So here's a few things, three things, right, I want us to see that are unique in this text when it comes to God providing unity among Nehemiah's community. Here's the first truth. We see a diverse group. Diverse. They are laboring together. They are united in one purpose, which we find in verse 5 of chapter 3, that they would not stoop to serve their Lord. What does that mean? That they would not give up. No matter the cost, they would not give up the task God has given them to rebuild this city. And when I say that they were a diverse group, here's the result of prayer, right? We see different ethnicities in this story. Now, I want to be very, I want to be correct with you to say that race, right, is not plural. Amen? Race and its biology and, and anthropology is singular. Now, we're using the word racial reconciliation, but technically there is no racial reconciliation because race has never been defined as plurality, but singular. Therefore, we don't have a racial issue. We have an ethnic issue. We have an impartiality issue. But in this text, we don't see impartiality. We don't see ethnic issues. We see a united people group. Look at all the people groups. We see Nehemiah and the Jewish priests who are Jewish by blood. 
We see descendants of the warriors of Tekoites in verse 5. These were noble people, not just Jewish people, but they were noble. They come from one of the warriors of David's tribe or David's kingdom when he was reigning as kings. We see Persian support in verse 7. Also in verse 7, we see rulers of outside countries that are connected with Persia, that are from different ethnicities. And we also see descendants from pagan nations like the Gebonites and the Maronites, who were not God's people, but in God's sovereign plan, they are united with Nehemiah in building up this beautiful city back to restoration. Listen to me, right? Here's a biblical reality. I want you to lean in on this truth. God's activity is joined with people of all different backgrounds. Let me say that again. God's activity, what God does on this earth, is joined with people of all different backgrounds. This is true then, and this is true today. How do we know this? Look around this room right now. Go ahead, look around this room. If there's one thing you will notice, we don't look the same, right? We don't act the same. We don't talk the same, right? And for some of us, we don't even smell the same, all right? However you want to take that. There is a diverse group of people in our text. And listen to me. We should celebrate diversity. Now, what I'm not saying is we should celebrate diverse theology. I'm saying we should celebrate ethnic people groups because they are image bearers of God himself. When it comes to theology, that's a whole other story. But the biblical reality is this, that God's activity is joined with people of all different backgrounds. And here's a mark. Let me show you a mark of a follower or a Christian or a believer in Christ. Here's an important mark. If you want to see if you are growing in Christ, here's a perfect mark, right? A mark of a Christian is one who lives life with people of different ethnicities, social status, economic status, levels of education, theological preferences, and even different political views. All right? Listen to me. God has not rescued you to just be with people that look, act, and smell just like you. Right? God has rescued you so that the nations of the earth may know him as God. And I heard a preacher say this. When we tell people to make God their Lord and their, their Christ, right, we're actually being theologically incorrect. Because God is already Lord and Christ. We don't have to make him our Lord. He's already, it says in the Philippians chapter 2, that every knee, every knee, all right? And you say, what, what, what does every knee means? Read the text in Philippians chapter 2. He says, every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, help me out, and every knee what? Under the earth, right? Right? He is Lord of them all. He's the name above all names. This same God. In the Old Testament, it's about his name, people. 
He's about his name. This diverse people group is about his name. They said it in verse 5. I said it again, that they would not stoop or give up to serve their Lord. The Bible, the scripture is not a better help book for you, saints of God. The Bible is about Jesus. It has always been about Jesus. It will always, when we leave this earth, it will still be about Jesus. This is not live your best life now theology right now. This is Jesus, his life now. His life matters. The gospel, his life matters. And so as we look at this text, and as we measure our walk with the Lord, are we a group that is diverse? And if so, praise God. And if not, if somebody's looking out there and you're at a church and everybody look the same, everybody act the same, I would challenge you to read scripture and look at the beauty of God's grace to all peoples of the earth in fellowship with one another. D.A. Horton, a new theologian out there, he's around my age, but he says things that really help edify the church. And when it comes to ethnic-centric groups, right, he breaks this down about our diversity, specifically in our ethnic group. He says, so often in the body of Christ, we try to downplay ethnicity by trying to go one of these two extremes. Either we pretend that we are colorblind or we ignore it. Or we go ethnocentric and we what? Idolize it. He says, brothers and sisters, no matter what your ethnic heritage is, embrace it and affirm it. Don't ignore it and don't idolize it. Because if we want to be a kingdom people, to represent the city of God that is made up of every nation, tribe, tongue, both gender and all social classes, then we, the church, are the trailer of the coming kingdom of God. God's kingdom looks diverse. Secondly, we see that we see a diverse task in chapter 3, right? of Nehemiah, it presents a huge task for Nehemiah. In fact, you will notice as you scan through the chapter this week with your family, during family worship around your tables or in your living room, you will notice that there is over 45 sections within the city alone that is being reconstructed on. Areas such as the rebuilding of the watchtowers, the headquarters, and living areas, and specific walls are being reconstructed at this very moment. But what stands out to me is the 10 reconstructed gates in the city that chapter 3 talks about. Look at verse 1. It talks about the sheep gate. Look at verse 3. It talks about the fish gate. Look at verse 6. It talks about the old gate. Look at verse 13. We see the valley gate. Verse 14, the dung gate. Verse 15, the fountain gate. Verse 26, we see the water gate. Verse 28, we see the horse gate. Verse 29, we see the east gate. And in verse 31, we see the muster or the inspection gate. As we scan and survey through all these verses, we can know one something that's very important about this reconstruction of the city. Gates. Why? Gates matter because what comes in and what goes out has a lot to do with our influence. Oh, no amens in this room, right? Right? I know some of you are perfect parents, right, in this room. Every one of you are perfect, right? right? You, you don't let your kids watch TV to be a babysitter, right? You don't do that, right? 
right? You don't let your kids play video games to be a baby, right? You don't do that because you're perfect, right? Well, I want to talk about gates. Like, gates matter for us and our children, for us, our family. We don't let our kids sleep over anybody's house, right? right? Especially in what's going on today, right? We're very strict on what that looks like because we want to protect what goes in their heart and what comes out of it. Are you with me? So we're very strict. Not saying that we'll always let be like that, but in this time, in our season, we're preparing their gates. This is what's happening. They realize the gate is destroyed, all these gates are destroyed, and the city is in rubble and ruin because what has been let in in the last 100-something or 70 years. And what I want us to see about these gates is I want to see a few biblical principles to help us identify the truth of us being a, of this being a diverse task. Here's number one. We can do more together, help me out, than we can do what? Apart from one another. Can I get a witness out there, right? Simple. We can, we're better together, guys. This is why you need to be a part of a local church. If you're watching online right now, this is why you need to be part of a local, body-believing, Bible-preaching church. Why? Because we're better together. We're better together. Biblical truth number two. Here we go. We can see the needs of others more clearly together than apart from one another. Now, that's something that this church does really well. When someone is in need of kokua, help, support, this church, you don't have to ask them multiple times. They'll step up, and you guys will do it. I'm proud of you guys in that vein, right? That's what it means to be together. Lastly, right, principle number three. We can experience more of God together than apart from one another. What does this mean? You cannot say you follow God, but you're not connected with his body. It's impossible. You cannot. I don't believe believe the truth where people use excuses. Well, I don't have to go to a building to be a Christian. Okay, let's say you work for HMSA, and you don't show up to HMSA. What's going to happen with your paycheck? None. That is some horrible logic, right? Listen to me. The church of God has been built, right, for this very instance. You ready? To experience God together. To experience God. Now, we have people who legitimately can't come right now during COVID-19, and we get it. So we're not talking about them. We're talking about people who say they belong to God, but there is absolutely no theological fellowship with the body of Christ. Listen to me. We had people who weren't even considered God's family involved in the building of these gates. Right? I mean, we have people who came to this church, help us build this parsonage, who does not belong to God yet, right? But they're a part of the mission. That's what this diverse task looks like. Like, I want you to see why this all is. The city was being built while outsiders were watching them worship the one true God. This was a diverse task. Their goal is still, verse 5, that they would not stoop to serving the Lord, but they would continue to serve the Lord even in the midst of hardship. Today, the way we serve the Lord is through the evidence and proclamation of the scriptures. Right? The Bible. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, the Bible is not the light of the world, it is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible, the world reads Christians. 
So if you go out there, you party like it's 1999, right? All this stuff, whatever you do, and it looks nothing like Christ, right? They're reading you. They're reading me, right? As we celebrated a beautiful celebration of life yesterday, I was convinced that there was a misunderstanding of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I was convinced that people said the name of Jesus, but it may have not been the Jesus of Scripture as they hold their drug in their hand, as they hold all these, 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 these bad talk as I was walking around. And the proclamation of the gospel tells us we need to be a part of those groups. Those groups matter. Why? Because they are made in the image of God. But it will be easy for us to say, God loves you, period. That's not love, guys. This is true love. You ready? Every one of us is sinful. Every one of us deserves hell. Every baby, every teenager, every adult, every kupuna in this room, we all deserve hell. Does that sound like good news? No. But good news exists because that news exists. Do you get me now? Are you ready that? Now we have a reason to connect good news to bad news. But God, in his task of salvation has given us his perfect son, Christ, to atone and to forgive us of our sins by doing what we could not do. 400 years later, Nehemiah, after Nehemiah, the God-man Jesus would show up on the scene. He took on flesh, and he took on the ministry that the prophecy would be told in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah's time, in Nehemiah's time, in Isaiah's time. He would come to this world. He would make known the excellence of the Father in his grace, in his mercy, in his love to us, that while we were dead in our sin, God in his sovereign grace gave us his son, his perfect son, who was without sin, who was righteous, who is righteous, and who is righteous to come for you, for me, for the sinners who proclaim in his name, who trust in him, who trust that he died, and he rose again on the third day, and for 40 days he preached the kingdom of God, and as he ascended to heaven, as Acts says, he told us that he would return. Let us preach that gospel. That gospel. A gospel that draws sinners to repentance. Not a gospel that says that God loves you for the sake of loving you. Heaven knew he. Wrong. Negative. God doesn't love you for the sake of loving you. There is sin at the core of everyone's heart. And man's sin is the destruction of all humanity. But God, being rich in mercy, gave us his son. That's what Nehemiah is doing. Nehemiah is setting up this temple for someday that the coming Messiah would come to this city and would take on our death penalty. That's the message you should be preaching to your child every day. Right? Then in that vein, then what? God loves us. God loves us. God loves us. The Bible is not the light of the world, it is the light of the church, but the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. Lastly, it will be Paul. Number three, in chapter three, we see a divine kingdom. In connection with the ten gates in our chapter, Nehemiah also talks about two additional gates in his writings of the book of Nehemiah. In chapter eight, he talks about the Ephraim gate. Everybody know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament? One of his sons was named Ephraim. Lately, later, in chapter 12, Nehemiah will talk about the prison gate. 
And what we get now, you do the math, we have not 10 gates, but how many gates now? 12 gates. And these 12 gates, represent, uh, these 12 gates represents what scholars believe to be the coming of a new kingdom. Specifically, a new Jerusalem. A Jerusalem that is not built by hands of man or a diverse tribe. But it's built by Christ himself. Right in God's plan for redemption for His people, He's not just coming. He's not just coming of. Uh, he's not just coming for the sake of coming, but He's coming back with His new city. I want you to see how do we know this? This is what scholars would believe to call the doctrine of eschatology, meaning the doctrine of the end times. Look at how John the Apostle right articulates these twelve gates in this new heaven. Revelation twenty-one on the screen says, "Then when." They came one, the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the what? Lamb. He's talking about the church, us, today. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the name of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You know why this gives me joy today? It has not happened yet. Though Nehemiah's construction has happened already, is happening in our reading today. You guys do know in the New Testament, Jesus would break this temple again. Anybody remember? When he took his last breath, the veil was torn in two. And the temple was bossed up, right? And he said he would bring back a new Jerusalem, a new kingdom. This is what Revelation is talking about. Why does this all matter? It's not on the screen. But if you have it with me, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. As I have been sharing with you, I just felt God's leading to go and end in Ephesians chapter 2. The message of our text today is that the result of prayer is unity. We may be pre-millennials in here, amillennials, post-millennials. If you don't know what any millennials mean, that's okay. All right. Simply means that Christ is coming back, and people have different views in, of the events and how that will take place. Well, we can have. What we can have commonality in and what we can agree on is Christ is coming. Amen? Until he comes back. The results of Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1 and chapters 2 is unity. So until Jesus returns, let's stay united. Amen, Ohana? Look at what Ephesians says in chapter 2. It's a long verse, but I want to encourage you this. You make this part of your family worship this week. Verse 11 in chapter 2 says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the what is called the circumcision 
which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Anybody in here Jewish by blood? I thought so. So you guys, all Gentiles like me, all right? Meaning that we were a part of this promise like in Nehemiah's day. We didn't see this. So we were looked down upon by the Jewish people. But I want you to see in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been what? Brought near by the what? The blood of Christ. For he himself is our what? Peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of what? Hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments, expressing the ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. They're killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through Jesus... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me be very clear here. In Christ, we are united. What does that mean? All right? Don't jump on this woke, all right, this woke ministry going on right now in our culture. This woke ministry that we need to stand up for this people group. Don't jump on that. Why? Because what happens, I want you to understand, not just that. Listen to me, I want to be very, very, I know we're online, so I want to be very gracious with my words. The black people, right, black, black African Americans aren't the only people that have had oppression for 400 years. Many people groups have had oppression, all right? At the same time, we need to be very sensitive and lament with our African American brothers and sisters. Are you with me? But let me tell you, who here from Hawaiian backgrounds? All right? We may have not suffered for 400 years, but there's been 200 years of suffering in this made-up society that we have in Hawaii today. I say that very clear and very blown. All right? You guys know the history we've been promoting. But listen to me. If we get caught up in people group justice, right? Singular people group justice. This is what's happening. We're, start, we're starting to condemn people with more injustice. And more injustice won't fix the injustice in the world. The injustice we need to talk about in humanity is the injustice we put on our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the injustice we need to be talking about. A perfect Savior. And you're talking to Kanaka Maole. All right, raised in the home, Hawaiian homestead. One who was around all Hawaiians yesterday. 
proclaiming Hawaiian music, Christian music, like so much different kind of music, right? Let me tell you this right now, right? The gospel we stand for is not for a singular people group. The gospel we stand for is for Jesus alone, Jesus crucified. Look to the cross, saints of God. When people are in sin, look to the cross. When people are need lamenting and redeemed, look to the cross. When people are still in their field and they call themselves Christians, but they still act like the world, look to the cross, right? The cross is the foundation of our unity in Christ alone. What he did on the cross 2,000 years ago, he is sufficient for us today. Let's not unite on ethnicity, but let's unite on the gospel that celebrates Jesus all over the world. And you will be your past after saying that live, I may get hit by it. It's okay. Why? Because Jesus said, we will be hated by the world. And as Galatians says, I would rather please the creator of the universe than a man who has the same eternity as me. Life, death, but will it be death in Christ alone? Listen to me. Celebrate the people you've been, you grew up with. Celebrate them, but don't idolize it at the same time there is evilness in this world we talk about the kidnappings in on the big island we saw an update that some children have been found praise the lord but we still have a long way to go can i be very encouraging to you please do not just let your kids go with anybody we live in a day and age where the evil one comes to steal kill and destroy but Christ has came to give life and life abundantly. When we look at this text in Nehemiah, right? The results of prayer for Nehemiah in chapter 3 was gospel unity. May we unite on the clear word of God. If people still have issues with what's going on today in our contextual culture, have a gracious conversation with them, dialogue about it, Appoint them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This message never changes. But you know what changes? Humanistic research changes, right? At one time, diet soda was the best thing to drink 20 years ago. Now, it's the worst thing to drink. The Bible is still the same today, yesterday, and forever. <laughs> you see what I mean? Be careful of this whole woke movement. Right? If you're going to be woke... Make sure it's biblical, all right? I want us to be very clear as I end today. May our lives be submitted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how you know when people understand the true gospel. The simple question, what is their gospel about? Is their gospel about Christ? Or is their gospel about themselves? If you believe that with me, would you stand with me as we end with our benediction? How will Marcus come?